oh, oh, well, 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 welcome to yet another episode of the Insert SEO Podcast, where we talk more about SEO than my monologue talks about my fault and shortcomings. Today, we welcome content strategist Supreme Miraz Pastin as we analyze the latest trends in content and voice search, breaking down which content marketing KPIs are worth your while, and how to consider your audience's post-click behavior. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am joined by the ambitiously ambitious, the diligently diligent, Kim Ragones. Good morning, Morty. Thank you for having me on your show again. How are you today? By the way, it's our show. And oh. why are you surprised that you're on the show again? It's like your normal routine thing. I, I get surprised every time you ask me. <laughs> By the way, you sound like you have a cold. Are you okay? I, I do have a cold, but I am also okay. Okay. I'm going to make it. Thank you. I'm a survivor. Oh, good. I'm gl- Be strong. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, thank you for coming on the show again today, despite your sickness. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the world wants these trees back from all the tissues that you're using. <laughs> okay. I do recycle at home, so you recycle I feel your like tissues. I make That's up for good. It. Yes. Great. <laughs> That's good to know. All right, we have a great show for you today. I talked to the great Rilaz Pastin, and we got into a really fluid conversation about where things are headed in the world of content marketing. But before we get into that, let me first remind you that we release a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog, you can find it on SoundCloud, you can find it on Spotify and Stitcher, and of course, you can find it on iTunes where you can subscribe so you never miss an episode. So before we get into our conversation with Luraz, I want to talk to you about the core update, the March 2019 core update that Google recently released as we go into some of the data, our in-house data. Okay, take it away, Kim. What happened with the core March 2019 update? The March 2019 core update was the first confirmed Google algorithm algorithm update of 2019. Per the Rank Risk Index, the update did not appear to be any larger than any other substantial unconfirmed update. That said, there has been a bit of speculation that the update was a reversal of the August Medic update. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Few questions here. Okay, one, how big was the March 2019 core update? How big relative to other updates and, of course, to the medic update? Was any niche more impacted than the next? That's question number two. Question number three, was the update indeed a reversal of the medic update? Okay, so bombs away. One, the length and fluctuations of the March 2019 core update, that is a mouthful every time I say it, uh, was not at all different from your average unconfirmed yet substantial Google update. Okay, for example... The core update here ran for four days and brought our index's fluctuation levels to a high of 89, 89 out of 100, okay? Because the update we tracked the end of February, which was, of course, unconfirmed, uh, that was a, a five-day event, okay? And that saw fluctuation levels reach a high of 91. So the core update only hit 89, and the unconfirmed update hit 91, okay? Relatively the same thing, but you get the point. The confirmed update... And the unconfirmed update that happened a week prior to it were of the same relative fluctuation level and the same amount of rollout time. Okay, so that being that, okay, the the you might ask me, well, the medic update, well, that also just lasted four days, but that one hit fluctuating levels of 94 out of 100. It was a much, it was the same length of time in the rollout. But it was a much powerful, more powerful punch. By the way, the first of the of the confirmed core updates, which was back in March 2018, okay, that lasted two full weeks 
and that hit fluctuation levels of 99 out of 100. So to me, and I'm speculating here, that tells me that yeah, I know Google said, well, yeah, we've had these broad core updates for some time now, but to me, the length of that first one, that initial one back in 2018, that tells me that something new was added into the system, so to speak. Something new was added in, and this, what we have now are subsequent follow-ups to that. So that first initial one was humongous, really long algorithm update, two-week-long update event, and we saw spikes that even rival that of the of the medic update. Okay, so what's next? Niches. Ah, right. Niches. Is it niches or niches? I always say niche. Whatever. Okay. Unlike the medic update, okay, there were no standout niches here. Okay, in fact, the health niche was a bit more stable than some of the other niches uh, that I looked at. For example, okay, the travel niche showed a volatility increase of five uh, percent at the top spot on the SERP. Okay, meaning the number one ranking position. Okay, well, the health niche saw a marginal one percent volatility increase during the March 2019 core update. Say that ten times fast. Okay, of course, of course, as you kept telling me, that name is making me crazy. I know it's a whole big scandal with the name. It is a mouthful to say, and it's a mouthful to write for some reason. I don't know why. Why couldn't we name it something simple like Battle Bob? Or maybe you can slow. Down I cannot speaking. slow. I'm from New York. I cannot slow down when I'm speaking. Plus, I have so much to do, so much to say. And you all tune out after like what 35 minutes of all the study says. So I got. I got to pack it in here. Okay? okay. Where was I? I don't know. Okay. Okay. So when you go down the SERP, volatility, of course, um, picks up. So in the case of the health niche, when you look at the ten, the top ten results overall. Okay. There was a 70 percent increase in rate volatility during the update. Keep in mind. Okay, while that mile 70% increase in the health niche, see it's YMYL sites again, the gambling niche saw an 80% increase for the same metric. So there was not a focus on YMYL sites. So eat that, get it? Because EAT, whatever. Okay, uh, by the way, same metric during the medic update, that is the volatility of the top 10 results, there was a 94 increase, 94% increase within the health niche as opposed to the 70% that we saw here. Okay, next item. Medic reversal. Yes, um, medic reversal. Okay. Well, the, the niche data source says it all. There was no focus on health or finance or anything like that. However, uh, and this is where all the controversy has come up, there were sites that did get hit by the medic update that saw a bit of a rebound with the March 2019 core update, the 2019 core, whatever you want to call it, okay? The most obvious was DrAxe.com, which I always call Drakes.com because that's how you spell it. With there's no period in you know in the website, it's not Doctor D R period, DrAxe.com, which got axed. Get it? It got slammed. That was terrible. It got slammed during the medic update. So we we at Rank Ranger saw the site get a 90% boost in its visibility uh, as compared to the previous month with the March 2019 core update. That, by the way meaning it's a 90% increase, not back to what it was by, before August 2018. It's relative to the last 30 days, okay? In other words, it doesn't mean that the site was restored to its former glory. It was not, okay? The site, despite the gain seen during the March 2019 core update, it's good that you put like the March 2019 broad core update. That word broad would have totally fouled up my mouth. Um, has a visibility score, um, that is well below. Notice the site now, Drake, Drake's, DrAct.com, despite a 90% spike in its visibility as a result of the March 2019 core update, okay, it still sits far below its visibility after the medic update, meaning it's not a full rebound. Okay, Thus, 
if you want to put it this way. Uh, from this perspective, even when dealing with sites that weren't by the medic update and they did rebound, I would not call it a reversal because, well, it didn't go up the way it did after it was hit from the medic update. It slightly rebounded, relatively speaking, all things considered. And I'm sure those sites are very happy, but I'm sure they're still not happy that they're still below where they were during the medic update. Other than that, and forgetting that, okay, tons of the sites, many of the winners and the losers, whatever it is, did not get hit by the medic update. So it's very, very hard to call this thing a reversal in any way, shape, or form. Do you think, Kim, that's enough update on the Google algorithm update for one day? Yes, I think that satisfies our daily needs. Okay, because I'm done talking about it. Okay. I've had enough. Um, I can't say 2019 core al March algorithm. I can't say it again. I can't, I can't even get it out of my mouth anymore. Please. Okay. Well, before we move on to um, our interview with Liraz, okay, let's get into the share your SEO tip of the week because this week we're going to be asking you to share your tips on recovering from a Google algorithm update. What do you do to recover from being hit by a Google update? Mm, good question. Okay. We will post the share your SEO tip. We'll post it on Twitter. You can comment right there on social media. We'll post it on Facebook. You can comment right there on social media. But we'll also place a link to a, a doc where you can submit your thoughts, your tips, what and whatnot uh, in the doc. And especially if you want to keep it uh, anonymous for whatever reason, you can do that as well. By the way, let's take a quick look back at last week where we asked, how do you create a well-oiled SEO machine? Tons of good tips on this one. Really exciting about this one. But I have to give props to Lyndon N.A. on Twitter. Um, you can follow him at Darth underscore N.A. Darth as in Darth Vader underscore N.A. I do not know who he is. I want to know who he is. He's one of these people out there on Twitter who we are in frequent Twitter communication, but I really don't know who he is. And okay, so he had five tips that he gave us. Um, the one that stood out to me, the one I loved the most, was he wrote, quote, explain that egos are checked at the door. I kind of read like George Takai. Anyway, um, I like that idea. If you want to have a good team, you have to, to check their ego and sign up. There's no I in team, but there is in win. Anyway, forget that. Um, <laughs> yes. It's a great tip. I will, I will say, I'll take it one step further. You do have to check your ego at the door because it's about the concept. It's about what you're doing. It's about whatever you want to build. It's not about you in specific, but you also have to create a safe place for people to be able to share what they want to share with that repercussion of thinking, well, if I share this and people think it's stupid, I'm going to get slammed because that's never healthy, right? We, right? Yeah. You don't like to get slammed. Nobody likes to get slammed. Nope. Right? Nobody. That's a dumb idea. Don't do that because that will not help you build a well-oiled anything yeah. team. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's move on to our interview with Liraz Pastin. So sit back, relax, or you can take notes if you want, if that's your thing, because here's Liraz on some content strategy awesomeness. Cut one. Another day, another SEO expert joining the In Search SEO podcast, which in actuality we are a weekly podcast, but saying another week, another SEO expert doesn't sound right to me. My misuse of idioms aside, she is an international SEO, a content consultant. She is a speaker at Brighton SEO, among other conferences. She is a contributor to Search Engine Journal and Marketing Profs. She is the great Liraz Pastin, who's joining us to talk about content. <laughs> Welcome. What an intro. Hi, I know. I over embellish. Good. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> you know, I like to butter you up a little bit before I'm you come so on the show. Thank you. Um, yeah. So Thank tell you. me. No, my pleasure. Absolutely. I'm honored, actually. <laughs> 
So what have you been up to lately? Let us let us in on it. Well, uh, basically, I'm in, in the industry for a while, like uh, almost 12 years uh, in the industry, doing uh, content and SEO internationally. And, um, and now I'm just ending my way and uh, my days at Outbrain after three years wow. as a head of content and SEO. And I'm uh, starting my own firm as a consultation um, for marketing, SEO, and content strategy to help B2B companies mostly. Um, well, you know, I have experience with B2C, but I find myself more attracted to B2B companies and because as a business owner, as a marketer, so I always know what to um, make the perfect goal for the users. So for me, it's really, really interesting niche. But yeah, this wow. is what I've been up to. That's really exciting. Congrats. Uh, yeah, it is. Very exciting time. That is great. <laughs> and we will definitely uh, put a link into the, the blog post that hosts this podcast. You can check out Liraz's website. Hey. There you go. So I do my research on my guests, and, and I take pride on being well-prepared, even though I'm overworked and uh, extremely limited in time. But being that the case that I'm a good Boy Scout, I, I stumbled upon your YouTube channel. And, and at first, oh. <laughs> I thought I had the wrong channel. The videos were all music-related. <laughs> and, and I really, I thought I was in the wrong place. I saw all these videos until I, until I opened one, and it said that the music was composed by you. I even saw a video of you singing... In a professional play, it was, by the way, amazing. So you got to tell me about it because I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wasn't prepared for that. Okay. I, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, basically, 15 years ago, I was um, an actress, a singer. Wow. Uh, I went to study. Basically, my studies are included only dramatic art. Um, so, I was a professional actress and a singer in Israel. I was in... Um, um, you know how to call the, the, the American Idol, the Israeli Idol. Oh, it? really? So, yeah, I was there in the first season with Ninette, Shiri, uh, Shiri Maimon. And basically, this is how I started there. Uh, music is my life. But uh, eventually, I was ended up with um, a cast. I don't know if you know them. Vocal people. No. Like the white little. Uh, you don't know them? It's like the white little alien that sings the a cappella. I sound. Um, I, I'm, ing I'm ignorant. We like... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was there. We were traveling uh, from tour to tour, you know, around the world. And eventually, I, I uh, found myself like, I wanna, I wanna settle down. I wanna <laughs> meet my husband. I wanna have kids. And I started to managing their site and content and Facebook pages. And then I ended up with a triple H, hateday.com. Uh, there where I started uh, the content career there, and um, then from since then, I'm a CEO. <laughs> wow. It's a weird story, I know. It's a weird, <laughs> very weird story. It was, it, you, but, you, you know. <laughs> people should definitely check that out. It was, it was awesome. It was fantastic. Okay. Let's get into some yeah. content trends then, data measurement and so forth. Let me start off with some of the more recent trends in the world of content and SEO as I see them. So. Because there are a lot mm -hmm. of mixed messages out there. Content creators are being hit from all sorts of directions. One of the things I saw recently, for example, was Brian Dean put out a whole study that showed longer content gets more links. Then you have people who are yeah. recommending shorter content for shorter stories. You know, people's engagement is so, people's um, attention spans rather are so low. Can you walk me through a few areas where you see sort of conflicting messages and, and help us clarify and create content that's balanced that we, you know, that, that content balance that we all want? Well, it's a good question because, you know, I don't think we'll ever find this magic formula we're all looking for because 
you know, it really depends on what business you have or what audiences you're trying to target. If you're a celebrity news site, well, you can't imagine you have, I don't know, like 1,500 words article about celebrity divorce or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. You'd be surprised. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's like um, sometimes it's really, it really depends on what business that you have. Because uh, it, every site has a different view from other one. And we need, try, we need to try to include different content lags and goals into our mix. Let's first take, for example, I don't know, like BuzzFeed, okay? They have very thin content, something they don't have any text at all. They have just images and JavaScript. So you can imagine their site is getting tons of backlinks, right? Because their content is engaging. It's creating emotional engagement with the reader. So you need to identify what your readers want. And then by that, determine what kind of length for this specific article do I need to target? Or I don't know, like different goals. I don't like having like a site where I create blog posts or anything like that. And I determine my site has to have 1,500 uh, words inside my articles. It's it's not that. There's not a formula for that. So yes, researchers, of course, there's a, there, there's a justification to have um, more words, of course. It's a long research. And of course, researchers get more uh, natural backlinks. But of course, it's fine to have quizzes and polls and interactive content, which have more thin content with more engagement through it. So it's fine. That's, I mean, that's sort of the pitfall of, of SEO is that we sort of get trapped into formulas because everything we try to do is formulaic. But yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Since we're talking about trends, let me, let me ask you about your thoughts on, on voice search because obviously voice search is the, the biggest of the biggest things going on. How do you think content creators should go about considering voice search uh, well, you know, I when when uh, first starting to see the first search trends, I was so happy because it's basically the, uh, what for me it equals um, no fluff policy. Now we don't see any, you know, it's like forces the content creators to cut the bullshit from their content. You know, just give straight answers to the users. So mm -hmm. why not? I'm all up for it. Because um, now you're gonna see. Uh, I, I, before that, I was like. I had to read a whole article to understand some points of it and trying to understand now I'm, if I'm getting for um, like a, a specific answer uh, and I'm getting into a content, a specific article, so I'm just getting it right away. So I really love voice search and uh, I'm really hoping to have more and more of these coming up soon. Do you, do you think it'll change the way people write content? Oh, totally. It should it force them to have more straight answers more uh, to the point content and to serve, I don't know, that the search query or intent, let's say, uh, very fast and not having the whole article journey until you get the answers that you need. So basically storytellers like myself, we're, we're, we're in big trouble. It really depends. If uh, someone is looking for a story, it won't, it won't search it for voice search. It's not something like that. If someone wants something specific answers, it will get it right away. Right. So this is something that's uh, very, very different by the type of the content that you're aiming for. Okay, so before, before we move on to another segment, another topic, uh, let me just ask you, mm -hmm. other than voice search, what other trends do you think are important for content marketers in this, the year of 2019? Well, talking about content creators, like in the last question, um, they'll have to learn how to create content throughout all marketing channels, not just blog mm -hmm. posts. I mean, even let's say seven years ago, if I had included a two blog posts a week or maybe a month for small businesses, it was great. Now it's just the basic. Now you have to have the, you have to get the blog posts into your business. But now I'm talking about 
content creators will have to learn how to write email marketing, ads, social, short videos, stories, polls, you name it. Everything that's come into content, basically content creators will have to, um, will have to create it with the same tone, with the same audiences. And basically what we need to forget is also um, about the well-produced live videos, because what we're seeing is that a lot of uh, brand audiences, consumers, they would rather, we know that it's just, it's just that they love to, ra the, they would love to watch a live video from a brand. Uh, 80% um, would love to watch, watch a live video from a brand and a read a blog post. So we need to start forget about the well-produced live uh, videos that we're uh, trying to get. Sometimes it, it can be not, perf not perfect. We can have a, a, just like a jump in, uh, in office tour or a surprise interview or some of an inside joke or say uh, atmosphere inside the office, that will basically make our brand audience um, more engaged with us and uh, create this an intimacy around them uh, and with them. So this is something that um, we a lot of the brands are now worried, oh, it's not really worth produced, we need to make sure it's good. Uh, we have all the conditions for that. It's fine to have something that's uh, totally human and imperfect. I, I love that. I think I think you're totally right about that, and and it's great. But first off, thank you, cell phones and the age of the selfie. But this is great for content creators because it means it's really it's less work. Okay, you don't have to go through this whole video yeah. is daunting, video editing and making it look slick and all these the intros, the out whatever it it's easy. You can create a rough video because everyone watches videos online that are basically selfies. So now you can yeah, do that totally. on the professional level. In the end of the day, you want people to consume your content. You're reaching the goal anyway, so with less less budget even. So that's that's great for content marketers. Yeah, I mean it's such a hurdle I think people have about video. I don't want to do it. It seems so daunting. But when you think about it, you don't have to mm -hmm. let it be that way. Yep, totally yep. agree. Okay, so let's talk about metrics. Everyone likes we're in marketing, we're in SEO, we're in content. Everyone wants to talk about data. Um, how do you okay? There's so many different um, KPIs that you can consider and 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 look at and determine how your content is doing. When looking at content marketing, okay, what KPIs do you consider to be vanity metrics? Because I think so many of them are. Oh, yeah, but I think for it comes when it comes to vanity metrics, um, we should keep it simple. I'm looking for raw page views. This is how I know just how my content performs. And then I look for downloads, registered users, any type of conversion that basically my um, my content is doing, mm -hmm. or let's say type of engagement. Um, this is simple as vanity metrics. Okay, so then let me ask you more specifically. Then, how do you separate metrics mm -hmm. like uh, like bounce rate, time on page, and, and and so forth when dealing with various types of content, since they don't equally apply to each content category? For example, if you're gonna if your web page is just meant to be a quick stop, is a, a short paragraph there, then the time on the page is obviously going to be much less than an in-depth article, let's say a medical article. People are going to really read through that. So how do you separate that out? Mm -hmm. Well, basically I group different types of content and then comparing the metrics for each one. So for example, some content should have higher bounce rate and low time and size metrics, and some, let's say, more interactive content should have more engagement. This is what I aim for when, my, when I'm doing my reporting. So let's say I have like a, an interactive uh, quiz in, inside my uh, blog post. So mm -hmm. I would see there in analytics for sure, a lot of time on site, people more engaged, um, a scroll depth maybe. But when it comes, I don't know, to other blog posts, they have different other metrics and I try to group them into 
uh, separate uh, and separated them in, in my reporting. That's a great idea. I mean, so you're basically aggregating all of the different types of content and creating a baseline out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a great mm -hmm. idea. Brilliant. Okay. So mm -hmm. let me ask you about reach because I love reach. Uh, to me, it just seems like this <laughs> I, it's, it's abstract. It's like impressions and that sort of page views. It's very, very linear. It's very great. Okay. I get it. X number of page views. Mm -hmm. But reach to me seems abstract. It seems much more substantial in a way. But how do you understand metrics such as reach? Because, again, not everybody you're reaching is, is equal. One person is more of a relevant reader than, than another person. Yeah, totally. Wow, we can have a whole discussion about reach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great topic. I think that reach is a, let's, say, let's call it as a measurement of potential audience size, let's say. And, of course, large audience is good, but reach alone does not tell you everything. Reach becomes very powerful when we're comparing it to other engagement metrics. So uh, I will give you an example. Let's say we're, uh, we're going to pick uh, an important action or engagement numbers, but, I don't know, like clicks, retweets, or replies. And then we divide them by reach to calculate an engagement percentage. So now we know how many people participated in my campaign or let's say in my content. Reach helps me contextualize other engagement metrics. So it's a, it's a basic metric. This is how I'm using it. It's like a basic thing that I need to play with it a little bit more to gain more actionable insights from. That's actually really creative because I, I always, as much as reach is very curious to me and I really think it's, there's something to it, it's again one of these metrics hard to qualify, but I, it's interesting to use it as a stepping stone to qualifying other data. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Let me ask because it's one of my one of my concerns about SEO in general. But do we go too far with KPIs? If yes, in what ways do you think that do we need to go beyond KPIs? And if not, how do you think KPIs do offer a complete sort of picture? Ah, uh, you know. I always have this debate because I have more holistic approach with SEO. And in general, I don't separate SEO from marketing strategy or any marketing plan. For me, it's just like go um, hand by hand. I know some of the people will say, oh, no, it's like a huge debate. I don't know. It's like some people are acting, they say it, but then they acting very differently when it comes to uh, action. For me, I'm really happy that you answer the basically question. You have this question for me because we sure do need to go beyond KPIs because, you know, good companies cannot rely on simple reporting of business results. We need to identify uh, certain behaviors or content types or actions that lead us to great KPIs and measure them as well. Uh, for, for instance, uh, I don't know, if I know internal education inside an organization about a certain topic, I don't know, say PPC, say SEO, sales tricks and tips, they, it maybe increases sales or the business, or maybe it reduces concerns, or maybe grows someone else's self-esteem. Then we should make it into account when building our performance marketing plan. You know what I'm saying? Just like um, everything should tie up, should right. tie up for an holistic approach. So if I know, let's let's call it, you know, I will go back in my past when I just started. I was like in a call center. I think everyone of us were, were like in the past. <laughs> we're like in a call center. And uh, I, was, I, I just came to realize that when I talk in, a, in specific behavior with my clients uh, on the phone, I get something that's benefiting me with my KPIs, with my goals. They, the call is getting shorter. The, the customer is very satisfied. So the survey after post you know, call is really, really good. And this is my KPI. So I will keep doing this behavior. I will keep doing the same things that I'm doing, the same actions, the same flow of the, of the call. 
So this is something that we need to measure as well. So yeah, totally. Yeah, I should. I I would the first one to say we should go uh, beyond KPIs. It's something for the future for a really strong performance marketing play. You should do it. Yeah, I mean it's it's so easy to fall into a KPI or getting too focused yeah. on data because it's easy, it's clear. But I, I think that they're they're great for planting flags and saying, okay, great. Here's what's going on. Let me investigate this a little bit more and create a, a more holistic or more um, foundational understanding of where things are heading directionally with what I'm doing. So I'm definitely with you yeah. on that. I'm glad you're with me on this because I'm, I'm adding you to my team of people who think that we go too far with data sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really hard to implement. That's all. But, right. you know, because sometimes you don't, you don't have enough resources to do it. But, um, but you should have it. Like it should go into a, a regular reporting, I think. Yeah. When you're when you're planning. Yeah, totally. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to get into with you was what happens after click. Um so I'm gonna mm-hmm. I have two questions for you. One is sort of a lead up to the other one. So let's start off with what do you think the most important thing to consider is when addressing user behavior post click? Oh. Uh, for me, I'm just going to talk about myself because uh, I think that what I'm looking for post-click is just like the scroll depth. I like to see if my content is like how many people are reading through the article uh, and bounce rate. This is what I'm looking because what I'm interested in is knowing is basically if the uh, content was misleading or too long to digest or if it eventually the user reached the target. So um, I don't know, like did I serve the search query or did the the content gave the user what he was looking for in the first place. Right. So this is what I'm looking for. Also looking for um, on uh, recordings, user recordings. That's mm-hmm. very, very helpful to understand um, how user is behaving inside your articles or a specific page. So, um, I, you know, my whole goal is just basically see if I'm getting the right content or even um, information the user is looking for. Uh, even, you know, sometimes the content is very is written very good, but it's not really designed to understand it. So uh, scanners or people that don't have time to read throughout the article, um, you know, they just give up and go away and right. search for another competitor. So this is something that I'm looking for. So that's really interesting. And and, and part of the reason why mm-hmm. I wanted to bring this up is, um, all right, so this is a topic that I love. It's, it's, it's search as a journey. So at their 20th anniversary event, Google made a shift towards catering to a user's search journey. That's their term, not mine. So what they've done mm-hmm. is they've done this by offering um, the Discover feed is now part of the mobile homepage. You have entity-specific tabs in the mobile knowledge panel. You have um, uh, tabs that you can pick up from previous searches that you did. The question I have is how do you create content for Google as a Discover engine as opposed to a search engine, I'm stealing that term discover engine from the guys over at Stone Temple Consulting because I think it's a great, great term because Google is now acting as a way for you, not just to show you 10 blue links or whatever SERP features, but as a way of building one, one stop along your search process that will lead to a, the next stop almost automatically or pushing you or nudging you towards that way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not surprising that Google is going that way because it's getting smarter every year and by analyzing our content so and they have a lot of information about the users <laughs> um you know privacy is not here <laughs> um <laughs> really, you, you said it not me situation. i didn't say anything <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i'm by the way just giving you know the information so i love uh, getting more personalized content so it's not surprising that I work for Albrain, you know, it's just like, it's, it's better, it's better experience there for me. So I love discovery engines, but what I'm focusing on is creating more um, entities and creating more authorities 
to make sure that Google and the user will try will trust basically my um, will will sorry will trust my content because if I'm going to serve just any content, so um, if it's a shady side, it's not looking good, it's not really you know I, I don't have any authority to write what I'm writing, so it's not going to cut it. Uh, and with Google Discovery, I feel we have to create an engaging content, fresh, and also to make sure to include newsworthy content um, as well as evergreen one in the mix. Because um, you know what we're seeing is that the newsworthy articles that uh, sometimes we we have to include because it's uh, an industry articles, and of course it's something that uh, a lot of people are getting um, uh, involved with and engaged with. But it's uh, it doesn't really. Um, doesn't sometimes they don't have the highest ROI because um, they have time limitation. Of course, uh, it's, it's not evergreen content, just like newsworthy, and that's it. So we're trying to create more. And you, Google, I don't know, like SEO will try to use Google Discovery to create more evergreen content and engaging content to appear there. Google loves fresh content, so the more authority and entity you will have and engaging content, you will be there and you will get those spots, those limited spots. So you're really speaking my language here. I, I think people forget. <laughs> <laughs> people don't realize that when Google's able to understand an entity, part of being better to um, understand the entity is that they're better able to understand where you fit in, how authoritative, I'll get the word out. I, I promise. How authoritative. There we go. <laughs> Gosh. How authoritative. It's a good thing I speak for a living. It's a, <laughs> how authoritative Google views you as your entity. You know, your site is an entity, so to speak. And the yeah. more authoritative you are, the better things are going to be for you if Google's taking a more entity-based approach towards throwing things onto the SERP. Yeah, totally. Okay. It's a hard work to become an entity, but it's a hard work to... Um, create this kind of a, a authorization. <laughs> See, I'm not the um, only one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one. Um, but yeah, it's a hard work, but uh, it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how, how this all develops going forward because I think we're still at the very infancy of this whole whole process. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. So I hate to do this to you, but I, I had this little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I And it always backfires on me, by the way. Where I'm going to give you two options. I call it optimize it or disavow it. And either these are two Ooh. really good options or they're two really bad options. And you're stuck choosing either you know, one great option over another great option or you're stuck having to choose one really terrible option. Um, so we're going to play. <laughs> yeah, but you know, inevitably, you guys are such experts that what I think is a great, you know, I've cornered you. It never works out that way. But let's see. Let's play optimize it or disavow <laughs> with the Raz Postan. Ready? Yeah. What's a better way of measuring the success of a piece of content? Twitter likes and retweets or page views? And again, the only two ways you can look at measuring success would be through either tweets, uh, through either likes or retweets or page views. So when trying to measure how impactful your content is, what's a better way of doing so? Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. you can only choose one. This, is, this way is better and that way that's not good. I will tell you that um, when people are sharing or retweets, um, uh, um, let's say a tweet on uh, Twitter, it's not really an indicator for me to say that the content is good because sometimes they just want to share it. They just want to sound professional or I don't know, like to, hey, I retweet this, so that means I read it. 
but that's not really true. Sometimes they just retweet it um, just to, I don't know, to build their, um, uh, their social uh, appearance. Um, sometimes uh, they're having uh, different intents and different in, in interests in what they read. So let's say I'm going to retweet an uh, article about the industry, about SEO, about common marketing trends, etc. But what I'm going to really read is about Brad Pitt's uh, latest divorce or whatever. And um, <laughs> this is basically, so my answer is optimized for page views because basically what users are sharing are not their real interest of what they read or what they consume. Um, this is something that's very important to understand. Yeah, there's like a whole study about, about it, by the way, about how people, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, how people are sharing in social media, just just sharing it because they they, they know that people are uh, looking at their profile and their mm -hmm. feed, so they won't share anything that's shady or anything that's not really, uh, you know, uh, match their uh, their profile. So this is something that's very important to understand. See, that's a great answer. I always find it funny when I, if you, you, you post an article and it's a good, like, you know, five, six, seven, mm -hmm. eight, nine, ten page article. It'll mm -hmm. take you a good 10 minutes to read it. And yeah, then instantly totally. someone retweets it. They don't There's no way you read it. it. They don't actually read it. They I know. They come and read a couple of lines right. and say, oh, it's a good candidate for me to share it. That's it. And I'm sharing it. Uh, but it's not something right, that people exactly. are actually consuming. And of course, I'm going to optimize for page views. And, you know, I'm just, this is what I'm going to do. Not, not, I'm not really, I love Twitter. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm not going nice. to optimize for retweets or tweets. <laughs> I'm just going to look for the, uh, raw page views at the end of the day. Oh, that's great. I agree. That, that's, that's a great point. I like that. Very cool. Thank you. Well, this thank you for playing. Yeah, right. thank Th you. And thank you for coming on. <laughs> this is, this is Fantastic! You should come on again. I'm gonna. This is an official invite back. Oh, I, I'm gonna take it before the interview is even ended. <laughs> I'm gonna take it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Then. Thank you very, very much. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. <laughs> bye bye. And we are back to your regularly scheduled insert SEO podcast. Sometimes I feel it just flows in an interview, and that one definitely just flowed. I loved having her on. Great. Yes, it was great. You succinctly sum that up with great. 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 Okay. <laughs> well, let's then move on to some news, shall we? Let's. Let's. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay, Kim, hit it with the news. A few months back, Google tested a feature where you could submit a question directly to Google to be answered in a situation where the results were not satisfactory. Google has now reformatted what it calls Q&As on Google to look more like a permanent element on the SERP where you can both ask and answer questions. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. But for now, you don't need to worry about it too much because it's very limited and in very, a very limited number of, of markets. Mm. Mm. It looks like there is some sort of bug that is causing knowledge panels that appear on the SERP for an English query but that are done in a non-English speaking market to show the language native to the search location. Hmm, I wonder who spotted it. Hmm, indeed, Valentine Pletzer. I mean, and myself. I, I'll plug myself a little bit. I sometimes find things. Because I do an extraordinarily number of weird um, searches. searches, right, on a constant basis, like I'm researching something. So I, I notice all these weird things. I don't have any special abilities. 
<laughs> Sergey Alakov, I think, does have special abilities. I think he has some sort of ESP for certain features. Anyway, um, this was really annoying, by the way, because let's say you're in Japan for a business, okay, like a business meeting. Uh, and you're running, you're running a, uh, a query in English because you speak English. You're not really Japanese. You don't speak Japanese at all. And you're just in, in Japan for business. And you run a query and come back with a knowledge panel in Japanese. Does that help you? Not so no, much. No, it's really annoying. Okay, there is a hack you can do. By the way, the um, you just type in at tag on or tap on to the um, to the URL and GL equals US or UK and you'll get your English panel back. Okay, but it's really really super annoying if you don't know that. By the way, I saw um, a knowledge panel for Macy's that when you clicked on one of the elements within the knowledge panel, it took you to the local finder where suddenly I saw Spanish. And Spanish mixed with English. There's, there's something weird going on. Uh, and Valentine's sort of the same sort of thing. Something's weird. Something weird is very going. It, I can't get it out right. Something weird, very weird, is going on with the language inside the knowledge panels. Hmm. hmm. Uh, Danny Sullivan did say he was going to look into it, by the way. Okay. okay. Next item. A few months ago, Google integrated neural matching into the algorithm. With the recent update, there's been some discussion on how that differs from RankBrain. In a recent series of tweets, Google's Danny Sullivan tried to explain the process a bit. Yeah, you should definitely take, uh, check out those tweets. I'm sure you can, you can find them um, linked to. Um, you can look for Google search liaison Twitter account. The search in land has an article about it and so forth. All right, so the best as I can understand it, because at the end of the day, it's still all slightly cryptic. Um, is that the two work at different stages, or so to speak? Okay, neural matching helps Google understand what's uh, what's said on the page via what they call super synonyms. So super, it's a super synonym. Anyway, in other words, okay, is this thing, is this term, the same thing as another term, right? So if I write one thing, and, and there's another term that's very similar to it, it's a synonym, right? Oh. Google understands that those two things are, are the same thing. Okay, and Danny gives some great um, examples back, I think from September or November, something like that. He gives actually an example of where how that actually plays itself out with the real search terms. If you go through the articles on all the news websites, you'll find that. Um, Rank Brain, on the other hand, to my the best of my understanding, is what's included in this concept. Let me give you um, sort of an illustration. So Google, via its neural matching, understands that this search term and that term, this language and that language are synonymous. They're the same thing. Okay. Um, let's just say like um, a, a terrible example. Uh, buy a new car versus acquire a new car. Okay, that's overly simplistic. Google already understands that. But let's just say now use neural matching to understand that a buy and acquire or get are all the same thing. Same. Okay, I'm, I'm oversimplifying that. It's, it's, neural matching is much more complicated than just what, what I said. Okay, so don't, don't hold me to that. Just give me an example off the cuff on the podcast. Okay, now what's included in buying a new car? When you type that in, do I want to just buy a new car? Um, do I want to learn about how to buy a new car? Do I want to learn about um, what to look for when buying a new car or where I can get the best deals? Conceptually speaking, what's included in buying a new car? That's rank brain. Mm-hmm. Notice the term buy and all the other synonyms, neural matching. Okay, what's included in that conceptually? Rank brain. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. the best of my understanding. Again, okay. if you have another understanding, feel free to let me know. But I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay. Is that it for the news? Um, there is one more. Oh, there's one more. Okay. Yes. Apparently, the markup that told Google that the content continues on the next page has not been something that search engine has looked at for quite some time. In fact, Google says that you should not break up your content over multiple pages. 
Oh, yes. And this was, of course, a sore spot because Google didn't tell anybody for a long time, blah, 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 blah. Um, what Google did say, however, was that you should just create content that's all on, on one page. I'm not going to get into any of the controversy. Uh, you either will know about it, you can read about it, and whatnot. So we're good. We're done with the news? We are done with the news. Woohoo! Okay. Well, then, it's time again. As our time together is drawing to a close, it is time for the fun SEO sent off question. Drum roll. Drum roll. Well, let's do the music now. Insert music now. Go. Okay. Um, <laughs> so being that Google announced its gaming platform Stadia, Stadia, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Google had announced a new gaming platform, an online gaming platform. Yeah. I'm not a big gamer, so I don't really. Neither am yeah. I. Yeah. Um, I'm old. At least if I'm not I'm old. Older. Eight, we're not, it's not. It's not a competition. Good. <laughs> Why you don't want to win? No. Okay. This one I want to lose. If it makes you feel better, I think men die earlier. Like women live longer. I think. Okay. So we're the same age, death wise. Okay. Right. Good to, know. <laughs> Good to know. Anyway, with Google announcing its gaming platform, Stadia, Stadia, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do you think is Google's favorite video game? Who should answer first? You. Okay, so I, as I as I mentioned, I am not a video game person. I have not been. My brothers play GoldenEye and Super Nintendo. No, not Super Nintendo. See, I don't even know. PlayStation? No. Nintendo 64. I got it. Nintendo 64. Yeah. I, and he was like, so into I'm like, this is, this, I don't get it. This sucks. This is boring. Anyway, and then all of you freaking like, GoldenEye is the best game ever. Or it was the best game ever. Anyway, um, old as it is, and old as I am, I am going to say that Google loves Tetris, you know, because Google, it's got to get all the right pieces in the right places when deciding to rank something. So it likes Tetris. Yeah. yeah? It's Good. also Works. a classic. It's a classic. Very smart. Mm. Smart game. Smart game, right? Google smart. smart. answer. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Okay. What so do you got? I also like Tetris, but the is only that Wait, other... is that because the only, the only game you knew was Tetris? <laughs> no. I know another <laughs> game too. Okay, fine. Oh, is that your answer? The other game? Okay, I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. <laughs> the only other old school video game that I know about is the Super Mario Bros. on Nintendo, and oh. the old one, um, 2D, where it just jumps up and down. Oh, the 8-bit one. Yeah, I guess I love that. My called. my mother used to be able to beat that game. By the way, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of sad. Good. Yeah, instead of parenting, she nice. was playing Nintendo. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, that's a very good um, approach. Oh good. boy. But I think Google would also like it. And I like it better than the new games too, the ones in 3D, because they all make me dizzy, even if I'm not the person playing it myself. Okay, so why does I'm Google like it? Why does Google like it? Because Google has Because it's taste. the only other game that you knew. No, Google has good taste. Like, I have good taste. Oh, that's true. You do have good taste. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and I guess Google does have good taste now because they have the same taste as you, it, it appears. Yes. Right. So, good taste all around. Yes. And thank you for joining us on this, the 20th episode of the InSearch SEO Podcast. Thank you again. Tune in next week. And it's been InSearch because we're all in search of something. <laughs>